and welcome to X-Men Unraveled. I'm your host, Noelle. In this podcast, I cover the stories of the X-Men in chronological order. Over the last several episodes, I've been covering the life of Wolverine, starting with his childhood in Alberta in the 1890s to his run-in with Mystique in Mexico in the 1920s. Logan definitely uses his years getting around, and today I'm covering a set of pretty unrelated stories uh, in lots of different places about his life in the 1930s. Think of them like glimpses into Wolverine's life, because it's never told at any point in one coherent story. But we're going to start in 1929, so let's jump right in. In Savage Wolverine number 20, Logan has taken advantage of the United States policy of prohibition. This was the policy in the United States starting in 1920, which banned the production, transportation, and sale of alcohol after the 18th Amendment was passed. Of course, all this really did was move the alcohol business to the black market by bootleggers. These individuals would manufacture, transport, and sell alcohol on the black market. It funded the creation of organized crime run by mob bosses, and it made a lot of money. By 1929, Logan was taking advantage of the Prohibition black market and transporting liquor from Canada to the United States. He started working for a man named Bugs Malone, who was a mob boss trying to steal some of the bootleg market from Al Capone. And I was thinking about it, and it must be a lot of fun to be a writer for any Wolverine stories. Since he has such a long life, there's lots of places he can be and people for him to meet. This particular story is not completely historically accurate, but it is based on the events of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, where seven men were murdered in Chicago during a gang war. So, Wolverine is driving a car full of liquor from Canada into Chicago with a woman named Molly. But when they get to Chicago, they are stopped by the cops. But these aren't cops just trying to bring him to justice, they're just there to steal his liquor for Capone. Logan takes out all but one of the cops, and Molly shoots the last one. They are able to get the alcohol to Malone, who meets up with Logan for a drink and thanks him for his good work. They're talking business, and Malone is happy with Logan, but Logan has to get going because he has Valentine's Day dinner planned with Molly. If you've been listening to the past episodes about Logan's relationships, this story is going exactly where you think it is. Logan gets back to their hotel room to find Molly murdered and hello written on the wall in her blood. Honestly, it must be Logan's chronic amnesia that even makes him able to start a relationship. I mean, unless you are a mutant with healing powers, hooking up with Logan is basically a death sentence. But Logan assumes that Al Capone is responsible for Molly's death in retaliation for his work for Malone and the murder of the law enforcement agents loyal to Al Capone. So he tracks down Capone at the Hotel Lexington, killing anyone in his way, and Capone tried shooting Logan and then tells him that someone else was actually the one responsible for Molly's death. But Capone has a message from him. He says that the man wants to meet Logan at a garage in the city. 
But when Logan gets there, it's not just anyone waiting for him, of course. It's his old enemy, Sabretooth, having already killed seven other men. That's the reference to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Sabretooth shoots Logan and leaves him bleeding out on the floor, and then decides it's a good time to have a chill conversation. He tells Logan that men like them, mutants, should be the ones running things, not the mob bosses or any other regular humans. He says they should form some sort of brotherhood. This is a reference or foreshadowing of the future Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which Magneto will form later on and which Sabretooth will join. But Logan and Sabretooth have so much bad blood already, Sabretooth must be in a really sad place to even want to talk to Logan about this. Logan predictably tells him to shove it, considering he's already killed two of Wolverine's girlfriends, and Logan tries to fight Sabretooth again. Sabretooth is uninjured and shoots Logan again, leaving him there for the cops to find with the rest of the bodies. Of course, Logan survives, heals up, and gets out of there. And the last we see of him is visiting Molly's grave. He stands there alone with flowers and tells her Happy Valentine's Day before heading off on to the next chapter of his life. It's another pretty sad story in a long-running list of sad stories, um, and a lot of them are going to have to do with Sabretooth. He is a constant plague in Wolverine's life, but this one was just a quick story, um, you know, showing where he was in the 1930s, getting involved with Al Capone and bootleggers, so I thought it was a quick uh, little story. The next one is a little bit different, though. Um, later in the 1930s, Logan has once again found himself forced to be part of a circus show in Kansas, and that story comes from Wolverine, the Amazing Immortal Man, and other bloody tales from 2008. Everyone either wants Logan in a circus or as a soldier. It's, n it's not great for him. I do feel really bad. Those are not the best options. And not to victim blame here, but... Maybe one of Logan's other powers is getting into the worst situations possible. Because it's not like any of these stories are some happy beach vacation. No, it's, it's always someone putting him in a circus or wanting him to be their soldier. That's pretty much it. So this time, he was apparently caught in Tennessee living as a, quote, wild man and stealing chickens. Somehow the locals caught him, chained him up, and sold him to the circus owner. I don't know who exactly conducted this sale. Who Who is involved in selling people? It's the 1930s. I mean, at least slavery itself is outlawed in the United States, but I don't know. Maybe circus rules are different. And honestly, I don't know how they managed to keep Wolverine captive, but he doesn't have his adamantium claws at this time, so it might be a little bit easier than later on in his life. Either way, this story is not told from Wolverine's point of view, it's actually related by a young boy employed at the circus, um, nicknamed Teddy Fingers. So it's hard to say if the capture story is what really happened or just a rumor that the boy picked up somewhere. Either way, Logan is back in the circus. He's been there before, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, uh, when he was tormented to show his claws as part of a Canadian circus act which put him on Mr. Sinister's radar. And now he's back in Kansas, where he had his relationship and falling out with Mystique. So overall, things are pretty bad for Logan. 
Um, like I said, he has a special ability for being in the worst place at the worst time and just being in the worst situation he can possibly find. So at the circus, there is, of course, a woman, because there's always a woman in Logan stories, too. Um, and she's named Olga, and she works for the circus as the lion tamer's assistant. She and Logan hit it off while he's still caged up, uh, but she was actually already in a relationship with the lion tamer. Her boyfriend sees this, gets jealous, and actually shoots Logan while he's in his cage, and that's how the circus owner, Max, learns of Logan's healing abilities. After that, the lion tamer leaves Olga and the circus. From then on, Logan is put in the show and called the Amazing Immortal Man. Every night, they put him through some terrible injury, like being burned, uh, being dropped 50 feet onto a bed of nails, or being impaled with wooden stakes to show the crowd that he can survive anything. Of course, we know that he has mutant healing abilities, but the crowd has no idea how he is surviving this each time. I do have to wonder if he's worried that word is going to get back to Mr. Sinister again, um, because that's what led to him catching him the first time, was hearing about this uh, amazing healing dude with claws at the circus. But um, no Mr. Sinister this time around, luckily. Logan's part of the show ends up drawing more and more people, so many that the police feel like they need to be there to help control the crowd. And this means that the town itself pretty much empties out while the circus is going. And the circus owner, Max, decides he can get more money by robbing the bank during one of the shows. Our narrator, the young Teddy Fingers, reveals that uh, he was the gang's safebreaker, and that's how he got his nickname. But there's a catch to Max's plan. It turns out that Olga was pregnant before Logan arrived. And Logan, who falls in love as quickly as a 12-year-old gets a crush, uh, doesn't care about that and still wants to help her and be with her and, you know, protect her, whatever. He says that she should go live in the city, have a normal life, and he will send money to her. So Logan talks to Max, the circus owner, about Olga having her baby. Logan wants Max to leave the bank alone so that Olga can safely have her baby in the hospital and live in the town afterward. Olga's contractions have already started, and Logan says he will refuse to perform that night unless Max gets Olga to the hospital. Max does agree to Logan's terms, and so Logan goes off to perform with the lions, fighting them and being attacked. But when Teddy, our narrator, goes to Max about the operation being called off, Max tells him to get ready, everything is moving forward. Max has another employee take Olga to one of those old-timey-looking caravan wagons that you usually see in movies about a circus, where there is a midwife waiting inside. And it's pretty obvious that Olga is not going to make it to the hospital. Logan doesn't know this because he's in the circus with the lions. They lock him inside a cage for this fight. But while he's in there, he notices that Teddy isn't in the crowd, and he knows exactly what's up at that point. So he starts trying to break free. The rest of the gang is getting ready to leave for the bank when the man that took Olga to the midwife runs up. He says that the baby's coming feet first and Olga has to get to the hospital now. Max says, tell the midwife, take care of it, and pulls a gun on Teddy when he says he won't do the job and risk Olga's life. 
Logan has by this time escaped the cage, pulling the bars apart to escape. To try and hold Logan back, they have the circus fire eater attack him, which sets a huge fire that starts burning down the entire place. That, of course, doesn't stop him for long. He does make it to Olga, but finds out that she died giving birth to the baby, and the baby boy survives. The midwife almost has to, like, protect the baby from Logan, because it seems like he's just so angry and caught up in everything that he blames him for Olga's death, but he lets them go. The town ends up blaming Logan for the whole incident, including the fire and robbery, but Teddy says that none of them ever saw him again. Olga's baby is raised by the midwife, and Logan heads off into the world again. Once again, the last we see of him is leaving a woman's grave. He buried Olga and put up a gravestone for her. I told you in the first episode about Wolverine that his life is one tragedy after another, um, and this episode's definitely living up to that. Um, so, poor Olga. I'm not promising any uh, happy endings going forward either. By 1932, Logan has made his way to Madripoor. If you've been keeping up with the Marvel shows on Disney+, Plus, um, we got a look at Madripoor in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I'm not going to lie, seeing it in the show got my hopes up just a little tiny bit. I wanted to hope that maybe somehow it was going to introduce the X-Men into the MCU. Of course, that didn't happen yet. Um... But Wolverine has ties to Shang-Chi, whose movie will be out in September, so maybe then? I don't know. I'm just gonna be impatiently waiting. They're gonna show up at some point. Anyway, Madripoor is a fictional Marvel location. Um, it's a small island located between Singapore and Indonesia. It's divided between Hightown, which is a place for the ultra-wealthy, and Lowtown, that is beset by poverty. In the past, Madripoor was a base for pirates, and it remains a place where crime thrives. Logan mentions in this story from Wolverine Origins Annual from 2007 that he has actually been to Madripoor before. He says that he went there prior to World War I and met a woman named Seraph. I haven't come across this in the other comics, it's just mentioned here. But the two of them start two relationships, one business and one personal. Wolverine has always just attacked and fought people out in the open, and Seraph trained him to assassinate quietly and stealthily rather than killing out in the open. And with that skill, he can work as her hitman. And of course, because it's Logan, they're also a couple. Seraph founded and owns the Princess Bar in Madripoor, which caters to the wealthy as well as sailors that pass through. She is a beautiful blonde, but clearly has some other business going on because she uses Logan's assassination skills quite a lot for someone who supposedly just runs a bar. One night, Seraph leaves Logan to take care of some business, but she won't tell him what it is. She just says ominously that it's for Logan's protection. Logan tries to track her down after she leaves, looking all over the city, uh, but he can't find her. Eventually, he goes back to the bar and discovers that there is a hidden compound below her bar. Logan listens in and hears Seraph. She is talking with someone who is in the middle of threatening her. Seraph had previously asked Logan if he'd ever heard of the hand. 
He has no idea what that means, makes a joke about, like, an actual hand. Um, but it's a hundreds of years old dangerous criminal organization whose ranks are made up of well-trained ninjas. They also have some mystical and occult elements to the organization, but they have showed up in various Marvel comics, including the X-Men, over time. And if you watched the Netflix Daredevil series, uh, you have seen them and know how dangerous and well-connected they are. So the Hand was trying to take control in Madripoor, and Seraph was actually using Logan to fight against their agents. That's why she had him assassinating so many people. Of course, Logan never asked why he had to kill so many people, so he doesn't know about any of this. Um, but the man threatening her in the compound is clearly dressed as a ninja with a sword as well. Logan can only hear what's going on, but once uh, the man starts threatening Seraph, he breaks in and takes on the ninja. Logan does kill the man, but he also almost gets cut in half with the man's sword. So luckily he heals up, and while he's recovering... Logan tries to get Seraph to tell him why she has the underground complex and what the hell is actually going on. She's also holding a box, like, to her chest to try and hide it, and says that it contains her secrets, but she can't tell Logan what's really going on. Logan just accepts this, and they try to go on like before. Not for long, though, because Seraph, who is Logan's girlfriend, meets her own tragic end at the hands of Sabretooth. The details surrounding Seraph's death are pretty vague. Um, it's elaborated a little bit in um, the earlier comic Wolverine number 26 from 1988. And it sounds like Sabretooth was coming after Logan because that's one of his favorite pastimes. And Seraph, with her network of connections, learned of Sabretooth's plan to attack. She met a woman named Viper to team up with herself and Logan against Sabretooth. Viper is a skilled mercenary and later a major antagonist to the X-Men. Her real name is Ophelia Sarkissian, but her backstory is a little unclear. Um, I'm not 100% sure if she's actually a mutant with immunity to toxins or if she just made herself immune to many toxins through exposure. I saw both, so I don't know. You might remember a version of her from the movie The Wolverine. Um, in that, she is a mutant, but with more lizard-like elements to her powers. And if you've been watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, you might recognize the name Viper. Um, but this is actually a different character than the show, because Viper is actually a title and not a name. The holder of the title is an important leader in Hydra, but... That's not really important here. It's told in a flashback. So whether Wolverine knew her at the time as Viper is a little bit questionable. But whatever Viper's origins or mutant status might be, in the 1930s, she is a freelancing mercenary who finds herself in Madripoor, as one does. She agrees to help Seraph save Logan from Sabretooth. Unfortunately, while they do save Logan's life, Seraph herself does not survive the attack. Logan, later on, still felt like he owed a debt to Viper for saving him, um, which does put him into conflict with the X-Men many decades later. And once again, Logan rides off into the sunset after the death of his girlfriend. 
After Logan's time in Madripoor, we find him next taking care of a group of children orphaned by another gang of bootleggers. This time, he starts out in Ontario in November of 1933, bringing a barrel of booze from Canada to Minnesota. His business partner at this time is a man named Elias, who runs a general store which serves as a front for a popular speakeasy. And they have known each other since World War I, and, and however Logan ended up back in North America, um, he meets up with Elias and they start this little operation. So Elias's bar is popular with workers from the area, and that's how he's able to support his four children, Peter, Maddie, Vicky, and Sophia. His wife died of tuberculosis two years previously, um, so he's trying to raise and take care of them on his own. His youngest daughter, Vicky, also has tuberculosis, but she's still doing okay. Elias drives Logan back to his place after a run-in with a group of Canadian Mounties in Ontario. Um, but once again, a gang from Chicago hears about their bootleg operation and shows up threatening Elias. They either want him to stop or give them his profits. Not a great deal, so Elias rejects their proposition, but then the men shoot him. Before he dies, he tells Logan to take care of his children. Then the gang kidnaps the oldest daughter, Sophia, and they also shoot Logan. Logan recovers enough and goes after the gang, um, bringing along the oldest son, Peter, and the two of them follow the group to Minneapolis. Sophia is being forced to take part in the gang's activities, and they actually make her kill a man um, or be killed herself, and she goes through with it. Logan arrives immediately after this and fights the gang members, but before he can take them all out, one of them grabs Sophia and holds a knife to her throat, but Peter comes in with his dad's gun and shoots the man, saving his sister. With the kids in tow, Logan goes to St. Paul to a bar of a woman named Dolly. He asks her for help getting the kids to their aunt in Colorado. She does have a good laugh at him, uh, showing up on her doorstep with four kids. She says, um, they had a relationship previously, of course. Um, and she says, oh, you didn't want to settle down back then, but you show up with four kids? And she laughs at him. He doesn't think it's funny, but I was kind of amused. Dolly sells Logan a car and takes the kids west, stopping at a transient camp in South Dakota. But because this is Logan, this is not just going to be an easy road trip. After he shares his catch of a deer with the other families in the camp for dinner, they turn around and rat him out to the local police. I wasn't 100% sure exactly what for, because um, it's not like they know who he is or what his backstory is. And given that this is the Great Depression era, a man traveling west with four kids is not actually that out of the ordinary. But whatever the reasons, Logan is actually arrested and taken to the police station with Sophia. Meanwhile, the gang has tracked him down and wants revenge for Logan's attack. The gang shows up at the jail, having been tipped off by one of the deputies, and a battle breaks out. Peter rushes in again, thinking that he's going to save the day, but this time, he really just fucks everything up. The gang tells him that if Peter will shoot Logan, then he and Sophia can go free. Peter takes the deal and shoots Logan, not his best moment. But then the sheriff is still alive and points his gun at the gang. Peter re-enters the conversation, but this time just 
manages to get himself shot. Logan and Sophia do manage to escape and head back to camp. Once they arrive, they're met with another tragedy. Uh, Vicky, who has been suffering with tuberculosis, has passed away. So now only Maddie and Sophia are left of the four children. Logan and the two remaining kids head off, and they do make it to Colorado. Um, But fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, Peter survived the shooting at the police station, and now the gang has him. He's in pain, and they force him to tell where Logan and the other two children are going. Unfortunately, this doesn't mean he gets to live. Uh, Peter does die after that. Logan and the kids have made it to the aunt's house, and Logan leaves them there. The uncle gives him a motorcycle so he can get on his way, thanks him for bringing the kids and everything. Um, But when Logan stops at a diner on the way out of town, he learns that two men have been there asking how to get to the family's ranch. Logan knows it's the gang and immediately heads back, but he's not there in time. When he arrives there, the uncle and the dog have been killed, Maddie is injured, and one of the gang members is, like, stabbing Sophia in the eye. Logan attacks them, but it's a tough fight, and the two men are able to overpower Logan until Sophia, who is a tough chick, stabs one of them in the foot. Then the ant rips a pair of antlers off of the wall and stabs one of the men with it. Logan is able to take the other one out, but now the ant, Sophia, and Maddie are all that's left of the family. So it's a really sad story so far, but Logan does meet up again with Sophia when she's an old woman, like, at a a nursing home, and she tells him about her family after the whole event and about her life. Um, They were able to put their lives back together, and everyone lived to old age. She shows him her family pictures and tells him about her grandchildren and Maddie's life. Overall, this is kind of like a sidebar story, But I still wanted to include it so we could keep track of where Logan is in this particular year. Um, And for one of his stories, I mean, part of the family survived, so it has a relatively happy ending. From here, though, he is off across the Atlantic again. Wolverine issues 314 to 317 from 2010, we learn that by 1934, so a year after the event with the family in Minnesota, Logan has teamed up with a group known as the Covenant. It's a band of individuals who decided to work together to stop any threats to mankind. The members of the group are an interesting bunch. There is Vanessa Baker, who's a detective, Jefferson Chambers, who's a mad scientist, Wyatt Crowley, who's described as a magician, The Menace, a hooded vigilante who we don't actually see, Murderous Lion, who's a warlord, and Ulysses Bloodstone, a monster hunter. So, interesting group. But they have all learned of a woman called the Dreaming Maiden who has mystical powers that have the potential to bring a great malevolent force against the world. The details are pretty vague, but essentially, when she dreams, she turns into some sort of beacon that calls out to whoever this destructive entity is. And the Covenant believes that the only way to save the world is to kill the Dreaming Maiden. 
and they recruit Logan to do it. So he travels to Marrakesh in Morocco, where the Dreaming Maiden is hidden and protected in a palace. Logan has to fight his way through the guards to get to her, but when he does find her, she is a beautiful, scantily clad woman, and always the sucker for a pretty face. Logan can no longer go through with his mission. Instead, he helps her escape the palace and the city. He takes her to a small island off the coast of Morocco with a cave where she can hide. We find out that her real name is Alina, and Logan promises to return for her once it's safe. He doesn't really know why the Covenant wants her dead, but he knows it has to do with her dreams, so he tells her she does have to stop or the Covenant will be able to find her. After leaving the island, Logan meets back up with the Covenant in Shanghai, and he tells them that the Dreaming Maiden is dead, and for his success, they offer him a spot in the group. Logan has to turn it down, though, because he knows that they're eventually going to figure out he betrayed them. Unfortunately, Logan also never returns to Alina on his own. She's left alone, abandoned, unable to dream, and trapped in a cave that she can't really leave because she's afraid of being found by the Covenant again. She's left there for decades. Logan eventually forgets her due to one memory loss incident or another, and eventually something happens to her that she actually crystallizes like a statue. And so she does remain hidden, but it's not really the savior story Logan was probably thinking when he rescued her from the Covenant. And she stays there and hidden until she starts dreaming again. And she actually becomes the center of another of Logan's adventures decades later. I'll get to that story eventually, um, but I do have to mention that our girl Seraph shows up then too. Don't ask me how, I have no idea, but I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. So that's a wrap on Logan's life in the 1930s, and next episode we're actually going to leave Logan behind for a bit. And that's because now that we've gotten into the 1930s, we will get to start meeting some other mutants, starting with Magneto. I cannot wait to get that started, and it will set off more stories from World War II that includes some non-mutant heroes, as well as a few characters we've met already. So definitely join me for that next time to get started with Magneto's life. As always, thank you for listening. I've been so happy to see people tuning in and actually spending time listening to this crazy idea of mine. You can see more posts and comic pictures on the podcast Instagram at X-Men Unraveled. And to be honest, I have fallen a little bit behind on the blog because this is not my day job, but I have just recently added a page with my comic reading list that I'm kind of proud of. Um, it's sorted chronologically from what I've covered in the pod, and it's taken a lot of work to figure out this crazy X-Men timeline, so for me, it feels like an accomplishment to see it all laid out. Um, you can check that out and see the blog posts for each episode, at least the ones that I have caught up on, at xmenunraveled.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch up next time with the life of Magneto. Bye! Bye!